All right, we're in Acts chapter 2, verse number 2. That's where we want to spend some time again tonight. Uh, Well, actually, let's uh, close out verse number 1. We didn't quite finish it up, so let me say a couple of things about verse number 1. The day of Pentecost arrived, or as the King James Version says, fully come. Uh, They were together, all together, in one place. We talked about it quite a bit last time, but let's go back and let's look at a couple of things there. They were all together. When we're talking about the they of that passage, who is it that we're talking about? Well, you've got to go back to your antecedent. Your, uh, when you've got a pronoun, you've got something that it refers back to. And so you have to go back to chapter 1, verse 26, where you find that uh, he was numbered, Matthias was numbered with the 11 apostles. And so we're talking about the apostles being together. And so notice that he says that they were all together. Uh, you've got Matthias being numbered with the 11. So you've got all of them. But there's one other thing that you want to look at here in verse number one, and it's the word together, the word together. And the Bible, when it uses this word, if you go and you do a search in the English Standard Version, the word together itself is used 97 times. But the word that's used here, translated together, is only used four times in the entire New Testament. And so what is it that is special or different about this word? Well, this word means literally in the same place at the same time. And so uh, in John chapter 4, verse 36, there's another usage of that word. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice Together, The sower didn't rejoice at one time and the reaper at one time. But the passage and the point that Jesus is making in John chapter 4 verse 36 is that the sower and the reaper will rejoice in the same place at the same time. And so the apostles were there in the same place at the same time. The same is true in John chapter 20 at verse number 4. Peter and John were running together, but one outran the other. And so they were at the same place at the same time, but one finally got faster and got ahead of the other. And so that's the second time. The third time is John 21 at verse 2, where he talks about the apostles and talks about them being together. And so in the same place at the same time. Okay, and so that's going to mean something to us in verse number 2, is it not? They're in the same place at the same time, and and something is going to happen. And what is it that's going to happen? Well, verse 2 says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Okay, let's break that verse down as well. What about the word suddenly? It means suddenly and unexpectedly, the word that's translated suddenly here. And uh, let me just illustrate it in this way. How many of you have ever felt an earthquake or a, a tremor, an earth tremor? Anybody ever felt one? Now, when, when that happened for those to whom it happened, uh, what warning did you have? Any? Three blasts. Three blasts? <laughs> 
You're talking about one where the where the somebody's been shooting in a strip mine or something. I'm talking about one where you have an earthquake itself. You don't have any warning. It just all of a sudden begins. I remember when I was a a child, probably maybe 10 years old, 11 years old. We had one, and uh, it was on a Wednesday night before church, and I actually was getting ready to go to church. And I was in the bathroom getting ready, and all of a sudden everything in the bathroom started to shake. And, and, you know, there was no warning whatsoever. And so that's what we have by the meaning of this word here, suddenly and unexpectedly, because it's used in the book of Acts chapter 16 at verse 26. And we'll have to let some of y'all talk a little bit tonight too. So somebody read Acts 16 verse 26. And while you're turning there, the doctor said, I'm not contagious. I went to see him today, and he said, I'm not contagious. He said, you can go if you want to. So, y'all, it's more painful for y'all than it is for me. All right. All right, so you see what I'm saying here about the word suddenly, this particular word suddenly, the one that's used in the original language, has to do with the idea uh, of something that is sudden and unexpected, just like an earthquake. And it's used in that context as well here in Acts chapter 16 at verse 26. And so suddenly what happened? Without, without warning, without expecting it in any way, what happened? There was a, a sound. And where did that sound come from? The sound that came from heaven. And what did it sound like? All right. A sound from heaven that sounded like a, a fierce blowing wind, a rushing mighty wind. And, and so how does that sound? You ever heard a fierce blowing wind? Well, you, we, we don't see the wind. We see the effects of the wind. But sometimes you can hear the wind as it blows through the trees or it whistles around your house or you can feel it when it blows against the house sometimes and makes things begin to creak and do all of that. And so here's this, this sound that suddenly comes. Okay? And so as we look at it, uh, <coughs> the sound coming down from heaven... Uh, it, 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 there's something in particular that, that I want you to see. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. And what did it do to the entire house? It filled the house. Now what, we'll skip ahead. and I think all of us know Acts chapter 2 well enough to know what's about to, what we're about to read about. But what is it that happens when this fierce, rushing, mighty wind fills up the house, what is it that begins to happen to the apostles? Do I? We've got the coming of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and so we've got the filling of the house. Okay? Uh, the word filled here, and I, I know you may think I'm crazy, but I've got a point that I want to make. The word filled here means to make replete. Literally, it means to cram or to level up something uh, such as a, a hollow place, 
to fill it up level. Okay, so that's what the word filled means. Look down to verse number four, I think it is. Larry, put me on four. Uh, look at verse four. See the word filled again? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Guess what? That's the same word in English. They were, if you back up to two, uh, there was a sound that filled the house. And you go to verse four, there's, there's something that filled the apostles. That's the same word in English, isn't it? Spelled just alike, F-I-L-L-E-D. But guess what? There are two different words in the original language. And so I'm not giving you the meaning of words just so I have something to talk about. But I'm telling you that there's a difference. The sound fill the house like you would a, a hollowed out place that's filled up with, with water or sand or something like that. Or you've crammed it in there. But the word that's used in verse number 4 concerning the apostles being filled with the Holy Spirit is a different word with a very different meaning. In verse 4, the word means to be filled mentally, to be under the full influence of a thing. Okay? Now let me illustrate by some of the passages where that particular word filled is used. The one that's used in verse 4 is also used in Acts chapter 13, verse 45. Okay? So go over there, and again, I'm going to let somebody read verse, uh, Acts 13, verse 45. And you'll begin to get the picture, I think, of what we're talking about here. When the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Okay, when the, when the crowd is filled with jealousy, what are they doing? They're being influenced by jealousy, are they not? Uh, their mental state is being influenced in a, in a certain way, right? Okay, <coughs> look at Acts chapter 19, verse 26. Acts chapter 19, verse 26. The sentence is not used of a person itself, but of the people that inhabit. Uh, actually talking about a city here. But notice what, how this particular word, filled, that's used in verse 4 is used. Okay, who's got it? Twenty-nine. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus. 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 Okay. All right, what, what was the crowd, what was the city filled with? Confusion, okay? And so they really don't know what to think. You know, there's so much commotion going on with what's happening there. They're filled with confusion. Well, in Acts chapter 2, at verse number 4, the apostles are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like the group was, the Jews were influenced by jealousy, and the whole city, it said, was, was uh, uh, filled with confusion, just like they didn't know what to think. The apostles were under the influence 
of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, so now let's go back and let's make some, uh, some connections. In the book of Acts chapter 1 at verse number 5, if we back up to the first chapter, and we spent some time back there, but in Acts chapter 1 at verse number 5, Jesus tells the apostles what? John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What does the word baptized mean? Immersed, okay? It's the idea of immersion. So when the sound, we go back to verse 3, when the sound, or 2 rather, when the sound comes from heaven, what does it do in the house? It fills the house. And who's in the house? Well, the apostles are in the house, okay? And so what are they, if the sound fills the house, they're immersed, if you will, in a sense, in the sound. And in verse 3, we haven't gotten there yet. There's some additional details that are there. They are immersed in that so much so that what happens? Not just on the outside, but they begin to be influenced on the inside. It, it permeates them, if you will, through and through. And so they're under the influence, under the direction, if you will, when we come to verse 4, of the Holy Spirit. And so it's just interesting to me that the Lord would choose to use those words, a, a, a sound that comes in and just completely fills up a, a space, a house. And uh, the people who were there, who were in that house, you know, are immersed, if you will, in that sound so much so that it permeates them and goes through them and they begin to be influenced in a miraculous way is what we'll see as, as we continue reading here in chapter number 2 uh, concerning the apostles and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's what we have. It's, it's a, a sort of a play on words, a word picture, if you will, as to what is happening to them. The sound itself comes from heaven, and it fills up the house. Okay? So, again, let's look at verse 2. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled what? The entire house. You know what my next question is? Which house? Which house did it fill? Now we read about them being in a, an upper room back here or another house back in chapter 1, don't we? Or at least when they come back, according to what Luke tells us, in Luke 24 and, and then back to chapter 1. But I'm not certain that this is the place where they were actually residing at that point. I believe Brother McGarvey makes a very good point, Brother uh, J.W. McGarvey, in talking about the house, he makes a very good point. Uh, they were in the house, but Brother McGarvey also asked, what house this was has been variously conjectured, but the supposition of old housing that it was one of the 30 spacious rooms around the temple court described by Josephus and called by him oikos or houses is most agreeable to all the facts. Wherever it was, the crowd described below, that's in the next few verses, gathered about them. And this required more space than any private house would afford especially the upper room where the apostles had been lodging.
And so it's very likely that when this happens to these apostles, they were all together in the same place at the same time in the house, but perhaps it was one of the rooms, one of the houses, as has been described, that surrounded the temple court itself because we know that the crowd itself is going to come together after hearing, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment, but they're going to come together and the apostles are going to preach from that spot. And so it's very likely that what Brother McGarvey says is accurate. Now, were the apostles ever in the temple? If you remember when we were studying back in chapter 1, that we referred back to the book of Luke chapter 24, when Jesus ascended back to heaven, we know that they came back to the house, but we said from looking at what Luke wrote in Luke chapter 24 that they didn't stay there all the time. Because in Luke chapter 24, the Bible talks about how that they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And so, when we, when we look at that and we start putting things together, it, it seems uh, very likely that, again, what Brother McGarvey says is actually the case because they were spending time and they had found this room, if you will, in which they themselves had gathered together and were, as Luke says in Luke chapter 24, they were there blessing God and waiting on the promise that Jesus had given them, okay? And so, again, if you, if you look at all of the information, you begin to see some of these things fall into place. Now, it says that they, when all of this begins to happen, that they were, that it filled the entire house where they were what? Where they were sitting. Now, what does the word sitting mean? Well, generally, when we think of it, it literally means to sit down, doesn't it? But the word here can mean to sit down, or it can mean a place that is being occupied. Not just, a, not just sitting down proper, but a place that was occupied. And so this sound came into the house that they were occupying at that point. Okay? Not that they all had lazy boys and they were all just sitting around, you know, talking to each other. That's not the idea that is presented to us here because they were all together in the same place at the same time. Okay? Remember we talked about that out of verse 1. And now they're there and they're occupying, all 12 of them are occupying this one particular place. Okay? Let's keep moving. Verse number 3. <coughs> Verse number 3 says, And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Okay? First thing that I want to point out is what is said at the middle part of verse number 3. There were divided tongues that did what? They appeared. Okay, so number one, what have we had? What sign have we had uh, that something is happening? We had a sound from heaven. Okay? And number two, not only do we have 
a sound, but we have a sight as well, don't we? We have the, the uh, tongues that come and appear to them. In addition to the sound, we have somewhat of a visible phenomenon. Okay? And so, as you look at verse 3, we'll stay in the middle part. The divided tongues as a fire appeared to who? The apostles. The word is just them, isn't it? But what have we said before? You've got to have an antecedent, don't you? And we haven't changed crowds yet. We're still talking about the same ones that were begun talking. Remember, there's no, no chapters and verses in the original writing. And so we're still referring back to whatever antecedent we had, the apostles, back in verse 26. And so the, the, the uh, tongues appeared to them. Was there anyone else who saw the tongues? Well, the Bible doesn't say that there was anyone else who saw the tongues. It appeared to them, it appeared to the apostles. Okay, and so, as you look at it then, we've got the sound, and we know the sound is going to attract the attention of other people. Not only did it, you know, not only did the apostles hear it, but people around heard that as well. And so that's one of the things that drew them together, as we'll see in just a moment. But we don't have any other information about the appearance of the tongues appearing to anyone except to them, to the apostles. Okay? Now, what was this sight like? When the apostles saw this particular part, what was it like? Well, that's what uh, Luke is trying to portray for us there. The tongues that came, they were what? Divided tongues that appeared as or looked like fire. Okay? That was a common way of illustrating things in the Bible around, um, you know, uh, around people. Uh, tongues of fire, is, as is used here, that's not necessarily the part, but the fire part is common in the Bible. But uh, there's, something, there's something that you need to consider. If you read that from the King James Version, how does it read? There appeared to them cloven tongues. Now, now, I always thought when I was growing up that the cloven tongue was sort of like a, you know, a two-pronged thing or something like that, okay? And, and you sort of wonder, well, you know, if, these, if you read this verse to some of, the, uh, some of the Native Americans that lived in times gone by, were these men speaking with forked tongues? You know, is that what he says, that these tongues were, were, were split or that they were forked tongues? And the answer to that is I don't think that's what the passage says here. Okay, these tongues appeared to them. And it's interesting to me that the word translated divided here is not an adjective that describes the tongues, but it is a verb. And so the tongues were divided and they went and rested on those who were there present. Now, if you look at the English Standard Version and you read the, you, know, you may have a note, a marginal note, the marginal note says, 
and tongues as a fire appeared to them and distributed among them. Okay, among the, among the apostles. If you go to the American Standard Version and uh, read from the American Standard Version, you have this. And there appeared unto them tongues parting asunder like as a fire, and it sat upon each one of them. Or if you go to the marginal rendering of the American Standard Version, or parting among them, or distributing themselves among them. Okay? And so you've got the verb that is being used. In the New American Standard Version, there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And so that word divided, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that it's a forked tongue, not a cloven tongue, but when the tongues appeared, they spread among the apostles, and a tongue rested upon each one of the apostles. And again, some of the commentators point out uh, the transition, and it's translated for us in this way in the American Standard and some of the others, and it sat upon them. So you've got the plural when the tongues come down. You've got the dividing of the tongues. And then you've got a singular when it comes to the distribution of it. It, that tongue, sat upon one upon each of the apostles seems to be what is being portrayed to us. It's a difficult translation, evidently. But uh, we know that, uh, we do know that the word that's used there, divided tongues, is a verb. And it's not, a, it's not an adjective describing tongues. They, were, they, they actively divided, uh, diverged or split, distributed is the other word I was trying to think of, among the apostles. Okay? And so one didn't get more than the other. They all received the full baptism of the Holy Spirit. They, they were all there, received the same thing, the same blessing. Each one received, uh, received that, okay? And so we've got those tongues that appeared and, and rested upon each one of them, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. Let's go on. To verse number four. <coughs> verse four says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we already talked about that word. That word has the idea of, of influencing the, the mind and the actions that they had. They were all filled with the Spirit and began to do what? Speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, as you look at that and you think about it, when they spoke in other tongues, were they speaking gibberish? How do you know that they were not speaking gibberish? Now, the reason I say that <coughs> is because many <coughs> of the religious world today who speak about <coughs> being able to speak in tongues... They talk about what? They talk about standing in front of somebody and just jabbering, and maybe you've got somebody that'll, that has the gift of interpretation, and they'll come up and interpret it for you. <coughs> but how do we know 
that this wasn't just gibberish that they needed some kind of interpreter for. Well, you've got to look at verse number 8. And when the people, when they come together and, and they're discussing what's going on here, the people are questioning what's going on, what is the statement that they make? How do, what? How is it that we hear each of us in what? In his own native language. Okay? So what were they speaking? They were speaking languages. They were speaking languages that they had not learned. They had not studied. A miraculous thing was happening. They didn't have to go. What's that uh, thing that's advertised on the radio all the time? If you want to learn a new language, they didn't have to go get that Rosetta Stone or whatever it's called. I don't remember now. They didn't have to get that. They were speaking different languages. And what's going to happen when you read down farther, you're going to find that he's going to expand upon how diverse the languages were that they had to speak because he has a long list there of what's going on. And so they're hearing in their own language. Okay? So as the... Uh, as you go back and you look at it, what had appeared to the apostles? What had appeared? They heard a sound, but they something appeared to them. Tongues like as of fire. Now what are they doing? They are speaking in tongues or speaking a different Language. It's not a coincidence, folks, that the appearance that they had uh, of what they saw coming and sitting upon each one of them or resting upon each one of them was a tongue. It could have been a, it could have been a butterfly that came and sat upon each one of them. But butterflies don't do very much in teaching folks, do they? And so there's a point that's being made here in Acts chapter 2 in regard to the tongues. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let that fire that, that was around them. That would that would do the that would do the trick. But but why did God choose to use this means in order to introduce the church on the day of Pentecost? You ever thought about that? You got the tongues, you got them speaking in tongues. Could they not have taken a dead man and raised him up? If they had the power of the Holy Spirit, they had the immersion baptized in the Holy Spirit, could they raise dead people? Yeah. Anybody ever heard the name Dorcas? That would, if you haven't heard it, just hang around for a couple of months. We'll get over there in the book of Acts. We'll talk about her. She died and Peter raised her. Yeah, they had the power to do that. And they could have proven that they were from God by doing that. But what is the point that needs to be made at this point? They don't just need to know that the apostles are from God. They need to know a message from God, don't they? 
And what is the best way for a diverse crowd to hear that? Could God have implanted the message into each individual's mind? Yes. But God didn't choose to do that. His message is, is, is spread. His gospel is taught by the, by the preaching of it. And that's what the apostles are going to do. And so if they only knew, for example, one language, they could only speak to how many people? I don't know the number, but anybody who spoke that language. But now today, on that day, the day of Pentecost, they were able miraculously to preach to every single human being in town, no matter where they were from, those who had gathered up around them, and they were all able to hear the gospel at the same time. And God chose that speaking in tongues to be able to do that. Remember in the book of Mark, chapter 16, we have a list of things that, God, that Jesus says would accompany the apostles when they were going into all the world and preaching the gospel. Uh, they would be able to drink deadly poison and not, it would not hurt them. They, they would be able to withstand snake bites and it wouldn't hurt them and, and all of these other things. But the speaking of tongues on this day is the need that these people had in order to be able to hear and to know the Word of God. God chose by His own divine will this particular miracle on that day to get his message out. And so we know, you know, having skipped ahead and read Acts chapter 2 before, 3,000 people, I don't know what all languages they spoke, but 3,000 people heard what these men said and believed what he said and obeyed what they said. They were speaking in tongues. And so, as you... Again, look at it. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on them. And they were filled with the Spirit and they began to use the tongues. And so, again, I ask you, who was able to see it? I'm not sure that anybody saw the tongues except the apostles who were in the room, the ones who were there. Luke knows about it by inspiration. We understand that. But we also know that they were using those. In verses 5 through 11, you know, just reiterates the point that the tongues were necessary. Dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. We noted also earlier, I didn't tell you where it was from, at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each was hearing them speak in his own language. And then continuing on, they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these that, who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language? And then we get to verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and Prothelites, proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. You see, verses 5 through 11 
are an extension of what is happening, of them speaking in the tongues. It's an explanation of it and showing you and me that it was necessary for that action to take place. All right, our bell has rung. We'll go back. There's a couple of other things that uh, we'll look at in verses 4, 5, and 6 uh, before we, we get to all of these other nations and stuff. But we'll pick up there next time.